3: Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.
5: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our series of That One Play. And the one play we're going to talk about tonight is a great one. Corey Graham's pick six early in the Mile High Miracle game. And the man who picked this is a veteran of this show. Been on probably about five episodes by now. Brad McGowan. Brad, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Ken. I miss watching the Ravens every weekend, but, you know, the season comes to an end one week or another. It's always kind of abrupt when it does. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Sure. I'm on Twitter at mcbradley. And uh, I don't tweet a whole lot, but during the Ravens season, I like to, like to like to give the community a follow and chime in from here from time to time. All right. Outstanding. So talking about it, definitely a cool play, and I think most people remember the
5: Mile High Miracle. This this play and and his second interception in the game have kind of a similar relationship to Ray Lewis's pick six against Tennessee in 2001 and the block kick and field goal return in that same game the blockhead field goal return tremendously important play much more important than the uh than the others i would not claim the same for the mile high miracle mile high miracle itself was an incredible leverage play for the ravens but they uh th- this play earlier in this game uh was a big one and let's let's set the stage a little bit in terms of of where this team was they lost to denver in the regular season pretty one-sidedly
0: yeah they really got smoked and i remember uh going into that game they were thin at middle linebacker and Brendan ion Bedejo, and Josh Bynes actually started in the middle of that, uh, of the defense defense played fairly admirably. Flacco had a number of turnovers and it was just, it was the the game right after they had fired Cameron and um, as offensive coordinator and Jim Caldwell was taking over on a short week after being installed. And uh, it was a really pivotal time of the year. And uh, yeah, they really came out flat in that game.
5: Yeah, a lot of players sat out that game with injuries. Uh, So so I think the Ravens kind of knew going into that, that they were a low probability to win at Denver, one of the strongest teams in the AFC, of course. And they were hosting the Ravens because of that. And uh, uh, they certainly played up to it on that day. And uh, going into this game in Denver, the thing I remember about it most is just it's the coldest I've ever been. Uh, Extended game, obviously that Will help with the frostbite conditions, but just penetrating wind, um, below zero wind chills. I've never been in a colder experience. Even that that uh, that awful game this year, which was the coldest ever in Baltimore, uh, doesn't really compare to it. Some other playoff losses at New sorry playoff uh, games, including the win at New England uh, in two thousand nine, were similarly cold, but not nearly this cold. And uh and this one, it, it was you felt it in your feet, you felt it in your hands at the end of that game. I can tell you that.
0: Uh, yeah, in, in rewatching the game in preparation for this, just watching the players on the sideline, it just it looks it, fr- it looks frigid. Now
5: Peyton Manning already kind of had a noodleish arm. He was at the end of his career, um, so kind of I mean, playing out the string is the wrong word because he did lead Denver to a very big offensive year the next couple of years, I believe. But in in two thousand and twelve. Uh, particularly in cold weather. They made a big point to say how he'd been sticking his hand in an ice bucket to practice for this game and then throwing passes. And he did not have much on whatever he threw that day. He de- he, he depended on accuracy,
0: but there, there was not a lot of velocity there. Certainly the cold played in Baltimore's favor that day. And something you've touched on many times is how Flacco throughout his career tended to be a bit more weatherproof than mm-hmm. some other quarterbacks. And he had a day this day. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's uh, that's uh, certainly
5: something we've noticed over the years. Ravens, nine-point underdogs in this game. Uh, you know, you made another interesting point to me before that I want you to be the one to introduce it. Because if I introduce it, it'll be like, oh, he's just doing his old diatribe here.
0: Yeah, so – the reason that I picked this play and why this play is so pivotal to me personally is, is I think this was Harbaugh's fifth season with the team, fourth or fifth season. And they had gone to the playoffs every year, but they'd been sort of on this perpetual treadmill of losing in the division round. They'd made the AFC title game twice during that run, but they'd lost to Ben Roethlisberger and lost to Tom Brady. And going into this game, they had only ever beaten Peyton Manning in twice, once in 98 and once in 2001, and they hadn't beaten him since in the playoffs or in the regular season. And Mm so I I viewed them as a fan as they were a good team that made small adjustments going into each season, maybe they would make a splash and trading for an Anquan Bolden. But even at that time, Bolden, when they traded for him, wasn't, you know, was considered not quite on his prime in his prime and more of a, you know, towards the, the, the back half of his career. And so they were competitive every year. They would give you a fight, but it had gotten to the point for me as a fan, where going into the playoffs, I wasn't expecting them to make a run and, and, and it, it, to, to, to the AFC title game again, much less make it to the Super Bowl. In in a lot of ways, I think they are
5: the poster child that you put up if you're on the season ticket order side of the fence and you want. to, Well, I I, I call that I I want a winner every year. I want a yep. a postseason team every year, and I'll we'll take our chances with the lottery ticket that accrues from that strategy.
0: Yeah, I I I, I I've heard you say that several times, and. I just, I mean, I think so, so much goes into having a successful team. And if you, what, what this team taught me is, you know, if you make, if you, you're competitive every year, sometimes, sometimes the breaks will go your way. And this was certainly the year for that. It
5: it, it was, I mean, Flacco obviously came to, to, to play at the right time, but. Lardarius Webb was probably the team's biggest loss this year, and he uh, was lost in week five, I think it was, early in the season anyway to Dallas, might have been week six, uh, with an injury that that took him out for the entire year. He was the best cornerback in all of football in 2011, uh, bar none. Rivas was still around, but, but Webb had a 42 passer rating against. He had, I think, eight or nine picks, including the postseason when he dominated uh, – um, uh, the receiver for, for the Texans, not not Hopkins, the other guy who was before him, Andre Johnson. Okay. And uh, it just had been fantastic. And, and so they lost their best defensive player, one might argue, at that point. Reed and, and Lewis were both in their final season as Ravens, so they weren't really that anymore. And then they lost Ray Lewis, of course. And uh, I, that might have been even in the same game. but it, Yeah, it was, I believe against the Cowboys. Yeah. So it was a, it was a pretty horrible win for the Ravens is as, as things went as it, as you look at that team though, certainly not the best of those five uh, Ravens teams. And I would even say it just from a, from a standpoint of, of the talent on the team and, and what was really there, particularly entering the playoffs, probably the worst of those five teams. The O nine team had great offensive line. And even though they went nine and seven, I like them a lot better.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've really, they've really caught lightning in a bottle and the one the playoff one, the, the during the playoff run, a lot of guys stepped up and made plays, but really Flacco played out of his mind for four games, and that was the difference. A couple of guys in the secondary came to play in the in the postseason. One of them,
5: Corey Graham, and we'll talk about him in just a second. The other, Jimmy Smith, who came back to be really the MVP defensively for the team in the Super Bowl. But let's talk about Corey Graham a little bit because he was probably the Ravens' defensive MVP on this day.
0: Absolutely. And you know, he had been drafted by the bears was a fifth round pick. And for most of his career in Chicago for the, his, uh, when he played out his rookie deal, he was a special teamer. He had made the pro bowl the year prior as a special teamer and Baltimore brought him in, in the offseason. They gave him a two-year contract for 4.2 million. Um, and as a special teams guy, it seemed like a lot of money. One of the things Harbaugh, has always valued our special teams guys. The Ravens have had a number of core special teamers throughout the years. The thing I especially loved about Graham is not only was he excellent as a special teamer, but he was really able to step in and 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 be a major part of that secondary down the stretch that season. And you know, contrary to some of the guys they've kept on the roster or kept active on game day lately, that really they don't trust to play on defense. Mm-hmm. Graham was the literal opposite, and he played fantastic for the couple years he was in Baltimore. Yeah, absolutely great defender, and he really was the fourth cornerback. And I, I think he was probably getting
5: paid to be the fifth cornerback. I think they'd hope that Jimmy Smith would would you know come up, and Webb would be there, of course, and whatnot. But but the uh, you know the truth of the matter is injuries happen. You typically need your fourth quarterback. You typically need your fifth cornerback in a season for at least some play. And Corey Graham came in, played for Lardarius Webb. And really did not suffer a big drop off. And in particular, played some of his best ball in the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. And in the, uh, when the Ravens released the behind the scenes Super Bowl production, or when the NFL released that, there's a clip on the sidelines of Graham t- talking to Ray and Ed and whoever was around towards the end of the game, saying he knew what Peyton was going to do. He was going to, he's going to make an interception. He's going to, he's going to get him again. And sure enough, he makes the, he He intercepts the ball that's a turnover in overtime that leads to the Tucker field goal that ultimately wins this game. And so whether that clip was actually immediately prior to when he intercepted the ball or not, it's still kind of a pretty cool pretty cool highlight clip.
5: Yeah, it's nice to have that. Nice to have some some sound artifact from the from the sideline for that. Let's go back to the beginning of this game though the 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 game did not start off well for the Ravens. who got the ball first, then punted that punt resulted in Trindon Holiday's 90-yard punt return and he had two two kick returns in this game which even though the the uh, Broncos were going to score 35 points in five quarters and change
0: well, was not that impressive absolutely they had a a mediocre offensive day it, but the point about these kick returns, there's an interception return for a touchdown. There's multiple long passes for touchdowns. There's great plays on defense. Double overtime game, a last-second hail mary that ties the game, sends it to overtime. I, personally, I think this is one of the greatest games I've ever seen, bar none. I think this game had everything. And when people talk about these great games that happen in recent memory, this game I feel is always left out. And I this game really had everything. Not to mention two all-time greats going head to head one last time in Ray going against Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning who had had their number as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's I, I, I certainly is one of the greatest games I've ever
5: been at, and and the the two that fall in this category. And obviously, I'm going to be a, a favor of the second one more. The Mile High Miracle, of course, the Ravens won in double overtime. On December 24th, 1977, they played, the, they played the Raiders in the Ghost of the Post game. And I was at that one, too. So I've been at, at actually two.
4: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should, too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.
3: Get started today at trylifeemd. That's t r y l i f e m d. dot com. Two of the five.
5: Uh, I, I, I assume there are a lot of Baltimoreans who have been at two of the five uh, double overtime games in NFL history. Same so way, the, the it, it, it was it was certainly cool from that perspective. But but what other, you know, so many other things were cool about that game that it really now eclipsed that two thousand one game at Tennessee as my favorite day of football memories. I'm uh, just even with all the cold. I mean, that that now is, is something we can kind of laugh about and have a beer over. It's 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 fine. It's not affecting me right this moment. But the <laughs> but yeah, all, all kinds of funny things happened. I I'll, I'll tell you one extra story. We'll, t- we'll take a couple extra minutes on the episode to do this. Um, as we were leaving the stadium, I saw a box of undistributed game day programs. And I said, Wow, somebody's why are they leaving that there? <laughs> I said, I'll take that. And I picked it up. And a female Broncos fan reached into the box, took like five or six programs, and then went over the trash can and threw them in there. <laughs> and I go, well, I guess not a lot of Broncos fans are going to want these, but I'll I'll take a moment. I sold a few on eBay. <laughs> oh, that's
0: that's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. I'd love the i love the uh, the cell phone camera clips of of the the Broncos fans cheering, and then you can see in the distance Jacoby Jones catching that pass and running it in. You know to bring the Ravens within one when they ultimately tie on the extra point and just like the way the crowd responds is yep. it, I, I still love watching that.
5: You know, that's similar to the 66 yard field goal that when it hit the crossbar, all the Lions fans were cheering. Yep. <laughs> and yep, <laughs> and <then> it, absolutely <laughs> it went through and they were not anymore. Yeah. All right, let's continue though. Jr. Holiday, 90 yard 90-yard return. Uh five plays later, Torrey Smith on the 59-yard touchdown cast right right down the middle, beats Champ Bailey. The Broncos get the ball back. Set this up now for us in terms of,
0: of what's going on in the game and, and what happened on the play. Sure. So the Broncos get the ball back. I I don't, I don't, re- I, they might have been on the 20. I can't remember if we kicked it out of the end zone or if they had a short return, but they, the, you know, they run it up the middle for three yards. They attempt to pass to Demarius Thomas. It's incomplete. And so it's third down and seven. They've had the ball three plays and they line up in a, you know, with a number of receivers. Uh, on the far right, Eric Decker runs you know, an in-breaking route right at the sticks, and Corey Graham was in the slot, and Eric Decker was covered by one of my favorite obscure Ravens of all time, Shockey Brown, who was a fifth-round draft pick <laughs> the year prior. He was drafted the year that Jimmy Smith was drafted, and Jimmy Smith was a first-round pick. We were expecting him to come in right away. And Smith had played some his rookie year. In fact, he had an interception in the AFC title game of Tom Brady in 2011, the season prior where uh, they, you know, Cundiff missed the field goal and uh, too much despair for Ravens fans. But Jimmy Smith didn't play much the following season, especially down the stretch. Shockey Brown got a lot of run and he played uh, nearly the, I think he played this entire game in Denver. So he was covering Decker Manning tries to fire it in there and Shockey Brown is clearly there early, grabs Decker's arm from behind and the ball like hits off of Decker, pops right up in the air. Ray is looking up and all of a sudden Corey Graham grabs it and boom, he's off to the races. You see Ed Reed immediately just bolt right after him. And all of a sudden I'm sitting on my couch at home expecting to witness with my wife Ray Lewis's last game of his career. I did not have a lot of hope going into this game. And this game could not have started worse. You know, we get the ball, sputter, kick it away. Oh my gosh. They return the punt for the touchdown. They kick off. Jacoby Jones fumbles trying to bring it out of the end zone. We have the ball on our five-yard line down by seven against the number one seed in their place. Fans are going wild. And a few plays later, Torrey Smith, a few plays later, interception return for a touchdown. And this play, this play was the play that I thought, oh my gosh, this year might be different. Mm-hmm. And in, until that play, I I thought the season was clearly going to be over. I was just in it for Ray Lewis's last ride. And this play was the thing that like changed my mindset. That's that's cool. By the way, I just looked it up. Shockey Brown, eighty eight snaps. Jimmy Smith,
5: zero. At corner in that game, that is an incredible factoid. I did not realize about this. Jimmy Smith did have a big play, downing a punt at the five yard line in overtime.
0: Yeah, So yeah. They, he played they, special teams. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: but uh, so he played a few snaps there. I think eighteen. But uh, but Shockey Brown was the guy in at corner, so they they obviously liked him a little better at this exact moment in time, which is actually kind of funny when you get right. It down is to really
0: that. funny because if you look at the game log for the title game, Shockey Brown gets much fewer reps. Jimmy Smith starts playing. And then in the Super Bowl, I think Shockey Brown only plays 20% of the snaps or something. I was looking at it before. But for whatever reason, uh, against the Colts and against the Broncos in that playoff run, Shockey Brown was their outside corner they relied on for the entire game. My
5: recollection is he had a very good game against the Giants in the, in the game that finally sealed the division for them on the second to last week. The last week didn't really matter. They weren't playing for anything. So they, they kind of gave up and rested a lot of regulars. But then the, the, uh, uh, they obviously still liked him enough to make him the starter in the first couple games of the playoffs. And that, uh, that's, that's really strange because Shockey Brown's finish in Baltimore was a little bit more uh, uh, tainted than that. <laughs> he, uh, he, he was supposed to be on the field in the nickel defense after the Ravens had had consecutive sacks. So, by the way, if you're a nickelback, one good job security thing is to know that if it's third and long, you're probably going to be in the game. And you shouldn't be over, you know, getting a water, talking to a female fan, whatever it might be that he was doing that was, wasn't being on the field. He actually ran on the field late uh, and Elvis Dumerville, I believe, collected the third consecutive sack of Roethlisberger on that place. So the Ravens didn't didn't, you know, fumble away an opportunity to to, to stop the uh, uh, Steelers on third and long. But Shockey Brown was cut that week after after that incident.
0: Yeah, it's funny. And uh one anecdote I wanted to share is the week prior uh, when they played the Colts in the in the last uh, home playoff game of Ray's career. My brothers and I had to get tickets, had to be there for Ray's last game. Um, and we're—I don't even remember what section we were in, but we were sitting next to an older gentleman and his daughter, who was probably in her twenties, I would guess. And all game, these two were just ragging on Shockey Brown relentlessly like just like (laughs) it was so funny and they kept calling him Chucky they kept calling him Chucky anytime he was involved and finally the woman says man Chucky he's he's fine but he's terrible
1: (laughs) and I just (laughs) thought it
0: was the funniest thing because I you know even someone that knew the Ravens roster up and down I I didn't even really know who Shocky Brown was it was it was just so he played such a pivotal moment for, you know, this play specifically and during that run. And, you know, he kind of came and went and I wish him well. Thank you, Jackie yeah. Brown. Uh, there,
5: there you go. Obvious <laughs> play there. So it didn't end up being Ray Lewis's last game. Ray Lewis, of course, the iconic photograph after the game with Peyton Manning. A lot of the crying on the field, which might've been a little bit over the top, but it was what it was. I think it was, I think it was probably genuine. It was just a little bit over the top in terms of how they're dealing it. And that's where we first talked about Ray, Ray. Ray crying. Yeah. Ray crying. Well, the, Ray the, was. if anyone was over the top, it was Ray. Yeah. But, but then that was the first we heard of the words, no weapon. Mm. And that was uh, interesting. And became the Ravens kind of battle cry the rest of the way uh, in, in terms of making sure Ray Lewis didn't lose on his way out. And, uh, uh, he he had a lot of tackles in that postseason, and it's it's it was kind of the poster child for why tackles are not that important a statistic if you're really trying to try to see if somebody's playing all that well. But Ray led the league, led the team emotionally in a lot of ways, and when it came down to the final three plays of the season defensively, in the Super Bowl, made three highly contributory plays to each of those stops uh, that, that were that were very uh, instrumental in in helping stop the Forty Nineers at the five yard line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a storybook ending of all storybook endings. Did you happen to read the autobiography he, he released a couple years back? No, I didn't. Okay. He, cause he talks in that about how much pain he was in and how he almost couldn't even move Mm -hmm. his arm. And so, I I mean, Ray being Ray, I don't know how authentic that is or not, or if he's playing it up, but I mean, it was just great to have him out there. um, And he had the, the visor and the cool tough looking face mask it was yeah you know as as lifelong ray lewis fans it was just great to see him go out like that for it, all it he was, had done for baltimore
5: it was it was great to see him inserted as the tailback on the on the uh victory the formation. Kneel down yeah the kneel down in the colts game yep. yeah that was that was terrific well, anyway great finish and and Corey graham let's not lose him in all this because his contributions as a raven He's one of the free agents that the Ravens have signed over the years that way, way outperformed his salary, and that's that does not happen all that often with free agents. Usually, you get some degree of underperformance, but you're okay because your cap is has to be spent on, you know, point value for certain free agents, and you're usually paying over a period of of years. In Graham's case, bargain free agent who was worth uh, uh, you know ten
0: times what he made. Absolutely. And I think, uh, he was in Baltimore for two or may- maybe a third year, but then he signed a pretty big deal to go to Buffalo and played pretty well for, with Buffalo for a couple of yeah.
5: years. No, he actually stayed in the stayed in the league longer than I had recalled, but, uh, yeah, he was he's still playing in the league in 2018. So ended up playing 12 seasons in the league. He'll have a nice pension and benefits to go with that. And he was a very good player. So, uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, the Ravens in a lot of ways got the cream off his, off what he had to offer, but, uh, uh it's still, still very nice.
2: Yeah. Anyway,
5: it's just terrific talking with you uh, about this, Brad, you're obviously somebody who's, who's very connected to this particular event emotionally and in terms of the history of it. And I, I appreciate you coming on, uh, tell people one more time where they can contact you online.
0: Sure. I'm on Twitter at MC Bradley.
5: All right, that's it's it's at McBradley.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. I, I I I must have signed up for Twitter early enough where they I still got one of the good handles. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So other
5: folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, particularly of that one play. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Tell me what the play is. I'm also suggesting a few every day in Twitter if you look for this, and people have been just taking one or two of those if I suggest five, and uh, uh, that's that's another way to get an idea for one. But I'm particularly interested in people who have a play before 2000. In a lot mm-hmm. of ways, we treat the years of 1996 to 1999 as the crazy older brother of or a crazy older uncle of the Baltimore Ravens. In truth, it's all Baltimore Ravens history. We want to talk about all of it. And in particular, if you've got one of those older memories, uh, th- those are pure gold and, and I'd like to include them. Brad, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Stuff. <laughs>